So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 8, and I am very excited for this morning. Um, hopefully it goes well. But we are, last, the last two weeks we were in chapter 7, and when it was that great feast of the Lord, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, and we looked at how um, the, the priests would go to the Pool of Siloam with these uh, gold vases, and they would grab the water, and everybody would be looking in expectancy as the people went to the temple, and they would pour out their vases of water and, and, and the joy that would fill the temple. The people would just rejoice. The, the, the Talmud said that you didn't really know true joy unless you experienced that moment in Jerusalem. And Jesus stands there on that day and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 53, and everyone went to his own home. So we're going to start chapter 8, but this is, this is the continuation. And, um, and, you know, it's a great feast. It's a festival. You know, when I, I, brought up, I was brought up here in, in Mallorca, I mean, you guys know what it would be like in your hometown, but we would have San Juan in, in, in the summer. We would have San Antonio in the winter, which I will tell you more about later. But um, it was a real, you would have the, the summer fireworks and, and, and the kids, we were able to be out, don't tell my son this, until one in the morning, two in the morning without our parents and just playing out and about. Just, 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 it was just a festive uh, celebration uh, that we would have continually in, in my hometown of Capdepera. So number one, that is the festive uh, scene that is going on at the moment. And it says in verse one of, chap of chapter eight, it says, but Jesus, so everyone went to his own house after the feast, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came into the temple and um, all the people came to him and sat down and he taught them. In verse 3, Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the mist, in their mist, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commands us that such should be stoned. What do you say? And this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. Let's pray. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would have your way, Lord. Teach us this morning. Help us to understand this passage. Help us to apply it well to our lives, to learn from your character how good you are, how unlike the religious systems you are, how unlike the world you are. You are your unique, Lord, and by seeing you, we see what life should be like. Have your way with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
This is probably one of the most ugly situations in the whole of the Bible. I mean, to see the moral superiority of these men grabbing this woman caught in adultery and putting her right in the middle of everybody. To see the prejudice of this situation, because notice, it is the woman that is in the midst. She was caught in the act, but where's the man? To see the cunningness of the whole accusation because it was not just for her. It was to trap Jesus. To see the brutality of it all. Look at it. Brought to, brought to him the woman as if she was a thing. The flattery teacher when they're trying to trap him. Set her in the midst in humiliation. Quoting the Bible, Moses said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. It was all a trap. They didn't care about the woman. They probably didn't even care what she had done. All they cared about was finding a trap for Jesus. And she was a thing to these men, to these religious men. To these men, they were supposed to be looking out for the welfare of the people of Israel. The real reason for it all was cruel and vindictive. They hated Jesus, and they were going to make sure that they found some reason to get rid of him. They brought her and shamed her to test them, treated her as if she had no name, as if she had no personality, as if she had no feelings whatsoever, just a mere pawn in a game of chess. It's a terrible scene. Her standing there shows that and displays their brutality. Again, I want to say this. I, I, don't, I never get tired of quoting C.S. Lewis on this, of bad men Religious bad men are the worst. Using this cause, using this woman to cause Jesus to make a wrong step, to either comment and contradict the law of Moses or otherwise say, yes, let's stone her and contradict the law of the Romans because the Romans had taken away stoning from the Jews. And religion devoid of God, religion devoid of reality, religion devoid of mercy. Isn't it strange that we would have wars waged in the name of, in, in the name of religion? Because religion devoid of God will wage terrible wars. And many crimes have been made in the name of religion. Religion will change the outside of a person, but leave the heart unchanged.
Now, on the other hand, we have to look at the lady. This is a festival gone wrong. When I was 10 years old, I was in one of these things in January, Sant'Antoni. Sant'Antoni, you're supposed to celebrate the spiritual temptation and the warfare that, that he suffered under demons. And, and it's supposed to be an overcoming of temptation, of fighting against the spiritual forces. And yet it's become a celebration of demons. I mean, you just have all these demons running around Mallorca in, in January, which is quite scary. It was quite scary for me because they, they would come with these sticks and they would come after you. And I don't know if they hit you lightly, but I didn't want to try. But the nice thing about it is there will be fires all over the place, you know, all over Capdepera. There will be bonfires, and there you will make your sobresada and your, and you, your butifarron, and then you would have the, the bread toasted, and then you would have sangria and wine. And as a 10-year-old, everyone thought it was cute. Here, Raph, have a little bit. It's just a little bit, so there I went. And then I would go to the next fire, to the next bonfire. There's a hero, have a little bit. And as a 10-year-old, I ended up completely wasted, passed out on a rocking chair on the road parallel to mine. My grandmother, who you guys have already heard about, she was a rough woman. When she got angry with me, she would pull her hair out. She... um. She loved me to bits, but you know, remember the woman that spoke about my, my mother in town, my grandmother went, met her in the town square with a toilet brush and brushed her mouth with it. And when the police find her, she said, it's okay, I'll pay double so I can do it again. <laughs> she had a tattoo. She would have been 90 something now and she erased it with a rock. Tough woman. You didn't want to mess with her. So she came to get me and brought me home. She didn't beat me, but she gave me lukewarm water with salt. I don't know if you've ever tasted that or ever had that, but it's an amazing experience. It goes in and everything you are comes out. <laughs> but it was a night, it was a night gone wrong. It was a night gone wrong. You get caught up in the evening. You get caught up with the people. And next thing you know, you end up in a situation that you're just like, what in the world has happened? And this is what happened to this girl. This is festivities. Everybody had gone home, but her, she went somewhere else. I often wonder how many girls come to Magaluf and guys. And in that moment of partying end up having their lives changed forever. Happy coming on a plane, traumatized, leaving the island. As a matter of fact, my neighbor, he's a taxi driver and he was in Magaluf and some guys got on top of his taxi and he's a huge guy and he got out to say, what are you guys doing? They beat him almost to death, to commandos. I wonder if those two guys just kind of thought, what were we thinking? In one moment, you can make a decision that just really ruins your life, affects you. 
And I don't think that the woman, when she was brought in the middle, was defiant. I mean, we got to ask ourselves, was she defiant? Was she ashamed? Was she a wreck? Thinking, what in the world have I done? She most likely didn't need their accusations. She most likely was quite aware. I mean, I don't want to send the wrong message. It's not that we, we, we don't want to share the wrong message that as if to say that she did nothing wrong and it was just the religious guys they were to be blamed. Marriage is given by God and is to be defined by love, care, trust, intimacy, service, companionship, not only by our actions, but also in the deepest part of our being. Marriage is not easy, but it is good. And in the world that we live in, the media interprets adultery as falling in love. As long as you're the one falling in love, not the one suffering the, 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 the being betrayed. But marriage is to be a covenant between a man and a woman of intimacy, of service, of love, of trust, of care, of companionship. There was a man who found a, uh, a, a genie bottle and the genie came out of it. And uh, he's in the genie and the guy goes, oh my, imagine my luck. He says, how many wishes do I get? And, he, and he's like, you get one wish. He says, I thought I would get three wishes. No, sorry, the economy's gone down. You only get one. So the guy says, what, what would you like? Come on, I don't have much time. He says, oh, you know, I'm afraid of flying and I would love to go to the United States from Europe, but, and I'm afraid of ships too. Could you build me a road? And he goes, my goodness, do you know the amount of concrete that takes? Do you, I mean, that is a huge road. And then he goes, can you please pick for me something easier? And he says, okay, well, I would love to understand my wife. Can you help me understand my wife? And then the genie says, would you like two lanes or four? <laughs> but point being, point being, marriage is not easy. It has its challenges, but it is to be sacred. It is to be holy. And the woman decided that her desires were more important than God's desires. And it's interesting to me that as we look at the story, Jesus doesn't condone either, neither, uh, but, but neither, he doesn't condone adultery, but neither does he condemn her. In verse 6 it says, this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger and thought he did, and, and, and as though he did not hear. And so Jesus' reaction, the question is, why, what, what did he do? I mean, he, they're just talking, they're accusing, they bring in all this whole scene of shame. And he just goes down and, and he just begins to write with his finger on the sand. 
And the big question is, what did he write? And I'm here to tell you. <laughs> Some people say that he wrote the names and sins. I don't think so. Some people say that um, he turned away in disinterest. Some people, that's me actually, but it's not necessarily one. Uh, he, I think he blushed. I think the whole scene was so awkward, so brutal that he blushed. In Jeremiah 6.15, it says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. I think he blushed for the Pharisees and the scribes. I think he's thinking, oh my goodness, this whole scene is just terrible. But according, but, but to talk about what he might have been writing, to me it's amazing. And if you guys can post these verses, I think it would be amazing. I don't know if you're going to be able to do it that quickly. But, but I think sometimes when you just compare the Bible to the Bible, it just kind of gives you little insights. And I wonder if he, you remember, it is the finger of, whose finger is it? It's finger, well, Jesus, right? The fing, and yeah, and, G, and John, who writes this gospel, he says the word became flesh, so God becomes flesh. So it is the finger of God, right? Look what Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10 says. The Lord gave me two tablets of stone written by the finger of God. Exodus 31, 18. When he had finished speaking with him upon the mount uh, to Moses, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. And the tablets were God's work and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. So part of me wonders is that they're bringing all these accusations of adultery. If Jesus is just writing all the commandments on the sand. And they begin to see the ones that, okay, you're really hammering this one. And then they see you shall not covet or you should not bear false witness. Or, or, you know what I mean? And, and just there's maybe he, because he didn't come to condemn the world, maybe he's just writing the law down and let the chips fall where they may. But another one that's interesting to me is Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5, verse 5. See, Belshazzar was the king of the world. He was the king of Babylon after his father or grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar had taken all the holy things of God and had made a party out of them and he made an orgy with them. So they were taking the gold and the silver and, and they were just drinking and having a, just a really big party thinking to themselves, we are untouchable. Our kingdom will remain forever. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar says, change the head. Make it the whole, not only the head of gold, but the whole thing of gold. And he's there, and as he's in his pride and his celebration, as he is uh, in his arrogance, suddenly it says, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And, and, and the king saw the back of the hand and and that hand that 
did the writing. And listen, it says that his knees became loose. It says that he literally, he pooed himself. This guy, so proud, he just, he, he, all of a sudden he's struck by fear as the finger of God begins to write on the wall. But what was written on the wall? Daniel 5, 24 through 20 says, the hand was sent from him and the inscription was written. Now this is the inscription that was written out. And this is where I struggle. Mene, mene, teko ufarsin. And Daniel gives the interpretation. God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Take it. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. So here they're ready to stone a woman. Could it be that Jesus is reminding when God took out a guy? Pharisees, scribes, you bring this woman, but you've been found in the balances. You've been weighed in the balances and you have been found wanting. It's amazing. One of the hardest things to deal with in church is people that are self-righteous. People that are able to see everybody else's shortcomings and they're not able to see their own. And in Romans 1 through 3, the whole point of the first three chapters of Romans is everybody has fallen short. There is not one that does what is righteous. So I think he wrote one of those two things. It doesn't matter. I, I can't prove it to you. It might be, it might not be. But to me, it's amazing you know, that as we, as, as they're pointing the finger at something, Jesus begins to write the other things. As they're pointing the finger at, at condemning that young girl, that Jesus says, well, you've been found. You've been weighed. And you're not all that you think you are. And Jesus is brilliant. I just love, I love to read the Gospels, not thinking that I am Jesus, but thinking that Jesus is Jesus. And to see, I wish I had his wisdom. I wish I had his mastery. Because he looks at them and he says, if any of you is without sin, let him throw the first stone. Come on, guys. So he doesn't condemn it. He doesn't condemn her. But he also doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't justify her. He says, no, look at your lives. If any of you is without guilt, let him throw the first stone. And those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. You notice that? It says, when out of they went out what, what, being convicted by their conscience. I wonder if, if they saw the writing and convicted by their conscience from the oldest to the youngest, they departed one by one. Why from the oldest to the youngest? Have you ever thought of that? Why from the oldest to the youngest? 
I think the older you are, the more mistakes you have behind you. I, when I became a Christian, I thought to myself, I am God's gift to the kingdom. <laughs> I really, and now I just cringe at some of the things I've said, some of the things I've done, and I'm just like, oh my goodness. It's, you know, and, I, and, and you become aware. And when you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, it was like that. You look at the, at the, at the life of the Apostle Paul and he says, I am the least of the saints. No, sorry. He says, I am the least of the apostles. And then a couple of years later, he says, I am the least of the saints. So he's already not only, he's not the least of the elite group. Now he's the elite, uh, the least of the Christians. And then by the end of his life, he says, I am the chief of sinners. And what he's realizing is that in him, in his flesh, dwells no good thing. But he realizes the mercy of God, the grace of God, and, and, and even beyond that, that we have not our own righteousness, but that righteousness that is a gift from God. Jesus neither made light of their sin, of her sin, nor did he apply the Mosaic law to her. And from the oldest to the youngest, the older you are, the more you have behind to look at. And there's none without sin. Now, I, I want to ask the question here. So does that mean that unless we are perfect, we cannot exercise judgment? Because I don't think, I, I think what's happening here, there's a condemnation. There is no warmth. There is no love. There is no kindness. There is no mercy. But I don't think the, the, the outcome of this passage should, should make us to think that nothing is wrong and that we don't condemn anybody and we don't never say anything. I think, I, I was having a conversation with Owen this morning and I thanked him because there was a particular situation that was difficult and I said, you know what, I'm so grateful that, you, that, that I'm able to see how you're dealing with this because I'm so fired up about it that I don't know if I'm thinking soberly. To have somebody else from the outside to be able to help we, we should help each other to grow. And I said, you know, I'm just grateful. And I was talking about being obsessive and not being able to let go. And I said, I'm so thankful for Bart. Because when I get like that, he just comes up to me and he says, let go of the bone. <laughs> let go of the bone. But I don't want to live a life where everything I do is justified and everything's right. I want to grow. I want to grow in love. I want to grow in grace. I want to receive the grace of God, but I also want to receive an education from him. And I want my brothers and sisters not to be condemning, but to help us grow, to help each other grow, to be better husbands, to be better dads. To be people that grow as Christians. No one argued that what happened wasn't wrong. Not even the girl. It was the accusations. It was the condemnation. It was the ugliness of just using her. He is rebuking hypocrites who have a big log 
in their eye, Jesus says, and they focus on the speck in somebody else's eye. You ever seen that? I don't like the way you're parenting. And then they, their lives are a mess. It's just like, well, we're not, we're there. How can we help each other? Not how we can condemn each other. And we need to allow truth through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, to search us first. And I have to ask myself, why in the world do I say what I say? Is it to help or is it to feel above others? And here you see the mercy of Jesus. God did not send his son to condemn, but to save. And he says to the woman, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Can you imagine? I mean, she's there. I mean, she's been used and abused, a rough night through a mistake. And then all of a sudden, she's there in the center, center of attention, ashamed. They're publicly shaming her to, to get to Jesus. And then one by one, they're pierced by their conscience and they leave. Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, no one. And Jesus doesn't even have to, he, he, he doesn't have to um, um, either approve or disapprove. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I mean, he's going to the cross in six months. Six months from that moment, he's going to the cross. Six months, he's going to, to, to die on the cross and take away the sins of the world. And he is looking towards that cross. But listen, here he gives her mercy and he gives her an opportunity to a fresh start. Oh my goodness, how many of you guys need a fresh start? I'm, a, I'm so glad that, uh, you know, I'm not trying to imagine a God. I'm talking about the God of the Bible is a God of fresh starts. He gives new starts. Behold, I do a new thing. And he's able to take our sins and he washes. I mean, the grace of God, the mercy of God is like if our sins are a little castle on the sand. And we've talked about this before. A little sandcastle. Arden making a sandcastle. No, me, even me helping out. Making a big sandcastle. And then a wave, a tsunami comes that starts in Calarajada. And it just moves its way through Manacor, and then it goes through Algaida, and then it pours down into Palma, and then floods all the way through Calvia. And you think, where is that sandcastle? It's been wiped away by the grace of God, an opportunity of a fresh start, a new beginning. And this is not a passage to justify ourselves in our rebellions. Just to use an example, there wouldn't be a passage for me to mistreat my wife and my family and then just say, well, look at, what, look at your stones, look, look, look at your sins. Don't judge me. You can't judge me. And people use that sometimes as a, these verses. Neither do I condemn you. Look what Jesus did. 
No, no, it's not to, it's not to hide rebellion. It's to give fresh starts. And this is the revelation of Jesus' nature, that although he was sinless, listen, this is where I want to grow. Although he was sinless, he was not self-righteous. He was perfect. He loved his father perfectly. He pleased his father. He loved people. He was compassionate and clear. He was balanced. And when he went out, although he was perfect, he didn't go around going, I'm perfect and you're not. He was moved with compassion, wanting to serve. He saw the justice that that woman deserved. He saw what righteousness looked like, what her life should have looked like. But he saw the mercy, the grace, and even before that, the love that will cause him to go to the cross so that her guilt would not just be ignored, but will be covered, will be restored. And it is ours to receive. We can sit here today and no matter what we, who we are, no matter what we have done, and maybe there's somebody here that suffered under scribes and Pharisees of our age, mistreated even in church, condemned, made a public spectacle of. Well, I'm here to say to you today that what they did to you doesn't represent Jesus. And that we can receive his grace, his mercy, his love. But that also, as this woman, I mean, what did the woman do? Just keep doing what she did? Or did she say, oh my goodness, that was a terrible mistake. How can I, Jesus, how can I grow? How can I develop? How can I, how can I move on? So receiving that grace. But then also, and I'm going to share me as a Pharisee, when I first became a Christian, I remember being in the streets of Austria sharing the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and just pointing people right to the law and then trying to find exactly what their sins were. And then just go, see, you're condemned, you're condemned. I still see myself doing that, you know. Instead of realizing, you know what, we've all sinned. We all need a Savior. As we go out and take the gospel, we're able to say, you know what, we've all blown it. But there's a God who loves. There's a God who makes all things new. There's a God that gives fresh starts. There's a God that will not only give you a fresh start by the atonement at the cross, by the righteousness he gives unto you, but there's a God that will give his spirit to you. And that spirit will not be a, a, an outward change. That's my biggest fear. My biggest fear at church is that, I would, that we would make Pharisees, people that are really cool on the outside, really well-behaved at church, and, and on the inside, they're unchanged. Because what I would love people to know is that when Jesus comes in, he brings mercy, he brings grace, but he brings deep, deep change. 
As a matter of fact, it says it's not the keeping of the law or the not keeping of the law that matters. What matters is whether you are a new creation, a new mind, a new heart, a new will. And my goodness, I'm so proud in the best sense of the word. I'm so gloriously thankful that I can stand before you today with this book, with the God of this book. That speaks love and grace and restoration. Don't worry about your accusers. Don't worry about the self-righteous accusers. Don't worry about what religious people did. No matter what denomination, religion it is. Worry about what Jesus wants to do in your life. Get to know him. Grow with him. Because there's nobody in the history of the world like him. Shall we pray? Father, we are so grateful, Lord. This is such a crazy story, Lord, but it, but it really, we could almost replicate that. Not just in Iran, but even here in, 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 our, in, in our Mallorca, Lord. And I pray, Father, that, that we would get a fresh glimpse of who you are. That you love us just as we are, but you love us too much to leave us there. And that you've come to deal with things. You've come to do beyond and above anything we could ever ask or think. And I pray, Father, that you will deliver us from religiosity that focuses on the outside like these men. Hi, trap, trying to trap you. The only true God trying to trap purity and righteousness and using a woman as she was a thing rather than someone created in your image and they were responsible to take care of her in your sight. And Father, I pray, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to see you as you are through the Scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.